we're going to turn our attention back to 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're in chapter 1. We're going to close out this chapter today as we're looking in verses 26 through 31. I, I don't know how you all really like these series or, or preaching through books, but it really helps me. It helps me in my study. It keeps me from avoiding topics that that otherwise I might would find myself trying to avoid. It forces me just to preach what's next. And it, and it takes away your, your voice to say, well, he's just picking on me. No, <laughs> we're just preaching what's next. And it's God who's picking on all of us. But uh, we, we want to look today in verses 26 through 31. As you're turning there, we... And, an old African proverb says this, when elephants fight, grass gets trampled. <laughs> when elephants fight, <laughs> grass gets trampled. That makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, when you think about these big or these larger than life animals, that just, it makes all the sense in the world. It, an African elephant weighs anywhere around 16,500 plus pounds. As a matter of fact, the largest elephant on record weighed a little over 24,000 pounds and was 13 feet tall. Now, wild elephants, they eat all sorts of vegetation from grass to fruit, the leaves to bark on trees. And you would think, how can they eat vegetation and get that big? Well, studies show they eat anywhere from 220 to 440 pounds per day. And they drink around 30 gallons of water per day. Oh, these are some big, demanding creatures. Now, you're wondering, what does that have to do with 1 Corinthians? Well, when you're building a church, building a church is hard. But building a church with larger-than-life characters can cause a stampede. Just like large elephants fighting tramples the grass, <laughs> when larger than life characters within a church begin to want their way, begin to want their preference, it can cause chaos within the church. Often there's conflicts, disagreements, misunderstandings. And with the church in Corinth, that's what we see. We see that this church had been led by two of the world's greatest evangelists, Paul and Apollos. Their individual followers were displeased with one another. Those who preferred Paul and his way of bringing things out and his way of discipling others, they were displeased with Apollos and his eloquence of speech. But those who approved Apollos and his eloquence, they were displeased with Paul and, 
And you know, when you've got two different groups fighting about style, you wonder, there one group's wondering, how can they enjoy this man? He is so quiet. He is so dignified. He is so put together that, that it's dull and it's dry. And then you got others that say, this man just makes too much noise. He gets too loud. He's a little too rowdy for my taste. And when you've got all of those in one church, it can cause a lot of conflict. This seems to have been what was taking place in the church in Corinth. This division was causing the presentation of the gospel, the gospel of the cross, to be empty. Now, last week we focused on the tragedy of the gospel of the Christ being diminished by words of wisdom. And we found that that was such a shame because the power of the cross destroys the wisdom of the world. Well, Paul was addressing the fact that division caused by personal preference was affecting the message of the cross. However, this week, what we hope to see today is that this type of division within the church in Corinth, it was not only affecting the message of the cross, but it was affecting the mindset of the Christians. Look with us here in verses 26 through 31. The Bible says, for you see your calling. Now get that. It says, for you, for you see your calling, brethren. Let's read it the way Paul means for us to read it. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are, you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. This is God's holy word. God, we thank you for your word. Now, God, in these next few moments, take your word, place it in our hearts. Help us, God, to hide it in our hearts that we may not sin against thee. And God, if there's one with us today, under the sound of our voice, who doesn't have a relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ, let your words and the power of your Holy Spirit speak to them today. That today they would see their need for a Savior and call out to you. God, we know if they call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. So God, move and minister according to your will and your riches and glory. And we'll praise you for all that's accomplished. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. As we begin to look here and try to figure out exactly what Paul was saying to the church in Corinth, we need to really understand that in ancient Rome... 
in that ancient Roman society, the value, your value was determined by your educational status, your wealth that you've accumulated, and your breeding. In other words, where you come from, who your people are. You know, we around here, we like to ask the question, who's your people? Well, in Rome, who's your people really mattered. Around here, we'll ask that question to make sure that if you're engaging with my family members, that we're not family. That, that if you're wanting to date my child, that, that you're not actually family with her. Because we know that our family lines, especially in Robinson County, they're all scattered around. And here, well, I thought I'd have got a chuckle. But here... In the Roman society, in ancient Rome, it really mattered. Who you were in this society mattered on who you come from, on what you had accumulated, and the education that you had. Paul is wanting those in Corinth, those in the church, to understand that your Status as a Christian does not put you in those standards with the world. This seems to be what the believers in Corinth were trying to portray. That now that they have become born again Christians, they began to feel a lot about themselves. Have you met people who had a high opinion of their own opinion? Those folks who really thought very highly of what come to their mind and what come to your mind really didn't matter much. Well, this is, this is what seems to be facing Paul with the Corinthian church. And as we look at his text, I want us to notice the horrendous mindset of the Christians in that day. When we look here in verse 26, we begin to really see that Paul, he tells us for you see your calling. In other words, Paul's gathering their attention and calling them back. He says, you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. This verse gives us some insight into those who had received the Lord Jesus as their Savior. It appears that Paul was telling them to think back to their, pri to their lives prior to their calling. When he says this, uh, for you see your calling. He is actually telling them, look at who you were. When you were called by God. Now this calling is not a, a call to vocational ministry that Paul is referring to in this passage. The calling he's referring to is the call to salvation. He was wanting them to go back to who they were before they became saved. Before they trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Before they had a salvation experience. He wanted them to go back to that. What Paul is reminding them is that not many of them before they were saved was considered in Roman society to be wise. Not many of them were considered mighty or noble. Now he's not saying all of them. He says not many. So that tells us 
that we need to address that before we go any further. Here, this gives an indication that some may have been, according to society, considered wise, mighty, or noble, but not many. And there was a reason for that. The reason in order for someone who is part of the wise, the mighty, or the noble, the word they would they would have to come to a place in their lives where they realized that all that they had accomplished in life and all that this life shows them is just vanity. As a matter of fact, the one who was the wealthiest in the world, the one who was born a king's son and became king, the one who the Bible records had more wisdom than any other man stated this. In first, well, in Ecclesiastes 1, 16 through 18, he says, I communed with my heart saying, Lord, I have attained greatness. I have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge, and I have set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this is also grasping for the wind. For in much wisdom is much grief. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Here, King Solomon is gaining, uh, he's gaining the knowledge or he, at this point of his life, we believe that that when he wrote the, the book of Ecclesiastes, he had gotten into his later years in life. After he had done all his foolishness and after he had looked back at all that he was and all that he had accomplished and all that he had before him and, and everything that had took place, he realized that life on earth, no matter how much you gain in this earth, it means nothing when you come to the end. That no matter what place you are in society, no matter how high people set you on a platform, at the end of life, it makes no difference. You know what I've come to understand? I, I, I don't know. I, I want to thank you all. I, I really do. I want to thank this church. If you're listening on Facebook, if you're listening on YouTube, I want you to know I thank you because I hear from other preachers how much you care about me. And you don't know how that makes me feel to hear other people saying I've talked with your folks and, and I know your folks care a lot about you and your folks uh, you're in a good situation when preachers are saying this to me you have no idea how it makes me feel but I do also have to remember that there's coming a day when I won't be the one standing right here and when that day comes somebody else will stand right here that when, when everything that I may accomplish everybody that I may please even those that, that may be displeased with me in the ministry that I do here. At some point, it's going to be nothing. It's going to make no difference whatsoever. Because in the end of it all, this life, it's all vanity. When we are separated from God, what we do in this life, it means nothing. 
But when we're walking with him and we're talking with him, the things that we do on this life, it makes a difference. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we end our lives here on earth, it makes a difference. Because the only thing, not our riches, not our wisdom, not our, not our uh, pedigree will go with us to glory. The only thing that will go with us is our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That'll make all the difference. King Solomon had gained all this knowledge, gaining this knowledge that, that, li- that this life is filled with vanity is proof of his great wisdom. However, it's not the wisdom of this world. Because it's hard for someone who sees themselves as a self-made man. Or, let me be politically correct, or a self-made woman. It's hard for them who who successful in their own field to humble themselves and realize that I need the Lord to order my steps. Now, this is why the Bible tells us in Matthew 19, 24, that it's easier for the... For a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Think back. Think back to when you were saved. Many of you were saved before we had anything in this world. There were many of you who were saved very young and before you actually really got a start in life. Some of you, after you got a start and after you started accumulating some things and and started feeling good about yourself, you realized that there was nothing in this world that was giving you joy. There was nothing in this world that was giving you peace. You couldn't find the love that you were searching for and you found that you were searching and searching and searching and you just wasn't satisfied with what the world was offering and you found that you needed something. Someone who could come into your heart and change your life and give you joy and peace and love and comfort and strength that the world couldn't give you. And you humbled yourself down. So in other words, you were either awfully young and you, you knew that you could trust Jesus as your savior or you were broken and you knew you needed a savior. In one of those two ways, you come to the Lord and for a self-made person who thinks awfully highly of their own opinion of themselves, who thinks awfully highly of their own accomplishments, it's a hard thing for them to admit that they're broken and they're undone apart from Jesus. King Solomon had come to that understanding Here in this passage, Paul was sharing of those in Corinth who had seen their need for a savior and who had humbled themselves and believed that Jesus is God's only begotten son, that he had died for the sin of the world, that he he was raised on the third day and confessed Jesus as their Lord and savior. Not many were members of the elite. In other words, they weren't noble at birth. Not many of them were influential They weren't powerful or mighty. Not many of them were recognized by society as being wise. It seems that they were in need of remembering just who they were before they received Jesus as their Savior. Because of whom they were prior to having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. They had had no excuse in being snobbish. They had no excuse for being critical of others. They They had no reason to be divisive within the church. They were only who God was making them to be in that moment. 
You know, every church and every believer needs to take this to heart. There is nothing more tragic than for a born-again believer to see themselves through lenses of pride and self-sufficiency. When we do this, we begin to credit all that God does for us and all that God does through us. We begin to, we begin to see our accomplishments as our own. And if we are not careful, we'll look at others as being in a position in life that we, just, we could not never have been in. We'll find ourselves looking at them as being beneath us and, and that we... That they ought to do what we've done. They ought to be where we've been. Instead of humbling ourselves and, and realizing that if God's, if it wasn't for God's grace, if it wasn't for his mercy upon our lives, if God would remove his hand from us, we would find ourselves broke, busted, and disgusted. We would find ourselves homeless, in prison, or even dead. But definitely, we would find ourselves on the way to a demon's hell if it were not for the grace in the mercy of God. Folks, we need to rid ourselves of this horrendous mindset that pride and self-sufficiency can corrupt us with. And this is what Paul was telling the Corinthian church. We can't look at the blessings of God in our lives and see ourselves as better than others. We can't look at those who are far from God and not see ourselves in them. We were once far from God in need of a savior. And by the grace of God, he reached down and pulled us to himself. And he's willing and he's ready to do the same for whoever will call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 3 and 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. God is willing and abundantly able to do what we call on him to do in Christ Jesus. Yes, we, we need to rid our horrendous mindset as Christians and what we what we must display is an honorable mindset as Christians when we look here in the rest of this passage what we find is in order to have this honorable mindset as Christians we must face facts God has not called us <laughs> aren't you glad he's called you <laughs> Aren't you glad that he called you from the pits of hell in the midst of the sin that you were in, in the midst of the sin that I was in? I'm so glad he called me out of it. But he didn't call me for my purpose and he didn't call you for your purpose. He called us for his purpose. Let's understand that no matter where we come from, no matter who our family name is, no matter how successful we are in life, no matter how mighty we think we are, no matter how much we have to offer, no matter how much wisdom we think we've accumulated, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the world will see us differently. They will begin to see us as weak-minded, naive, and gullible. They will despise what or better yet who we stand for. 
But we can't allow this to discourage us, nor can we allow this to divide us. Instead, we must look to God for his purpose for us. According to the text, God's purpose is to use us to demonstrate his power over the world. He will use us to put to shame the wise of the world. To, he will use us to put to shame the mighty or the powerful of the world. He will use us to humble the world. That's what he's telling us here in these verses 27 and 28 and even in 29. Folks, it happened all through scriptures and he wants it to continue to happen. If we look through the scriptures, we can begin with Noah and see how God used a man who was ridiculed and laughed at to show the world his saving power for those who would believe and obey his word. We see how God used Moses to show his power over the mighty and noble Pharaoh and his so-called wise magicians. We can see how God used the shepherd boy, David, to defeat the mighty, powerful, noble champion of the Philistines. We can see how God used Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to show his power over the fiery furnace of King Nebuchadnezzar. And how he used Daniel to display his power over the lion's den of King Darius. Folks, and even if we jump to the New Testament, what we'll find is God used unlearned men, called the apostles to, as instruments to establish his church. How he used Paul while in prison to confound the world through his letters to the churches. But most of all, we see how he used his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to defeat the ruler of this world in the wilderness while fasting 40 days and 40 nights. We can see Jesus, this carpenter's son, out of Nazareth, how he would, he, who did have a bed to lay his head, how he defeated sin on the cross of Calvary, how he defeated death, hell, and the grave through his resurrection. God is wanting to use ordinary people like you and like like me to do great things in this world God has a purpose for us he wants to use willing vessels who trust and obey his word to display his power in this world he wants the world to see his power in our lives working through his joy his peace his love his hope in the midst of whatever this world throws at us he doesn't want the world to see you and me. He wants the world to see him working through us. When we get a diagnosis that brings the fear, that brings fear to the world, he wants the world to see our peace, strength, and comfort in the midst of what they may see as devastating. When we get news of a tragedy, the where the world would fall apart, he wants the world to see his love, his hope, his grace. In the midst of what the world can, can only see is tragic. When the world runs from those who are in need and those who are hurting, he wants the world to see his compassion, his empathy, his service working through us in this cold, dark world. Why is it that God has purposed to use us in such a way in this world is so that his son our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ can be magnified and our God he himself be glorified when the world sees who they call weak foolish and a stumbling block 
being strong, peaceful, joyful, loving, and caring, then they know that it's not in our power to do so. But they know this power is not in the world to do so. But this power has to come from Jesus. Philippians 4 and 13 says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And folks, we know that Jesus told us in John 12 and 32 that I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all peoples unto me. Yes, when Christ is magnified and he is so deserving of being magnified by the church, by the Christians, because he left the portals of glory. He came to this sin-cursed world. He lived a sinless life and he died a sinner's death and he arose victorious over the grave. He deserves to be magnified. But when he's magnified, God is glorified. You know, this world don't have trouble glorifying God, but they don't want to magnify Jesus. But it's when Jesus is magnified that God is truly glorified. For we find in John 3, 16, it was God who loved us so. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, yes. Having this honorable mindset as Christians, we can rest assured that we've been redeemed. And because of our redemption, the Holy Spirit of God, he indwells us and begins the sanctification, working in us, separating us, changing us from who we were into who God would have us to be. And at the moment, God is ready to make us fully like him. He'll take us out of this sin-cursed world, place us before him, and glorify us. And we'll receive our glorification. Listen, I've said this before. We're saved. We're being saved. And one day we will fully be, be saved. What do I really mean about that? Well, today I'm saved from the penalty of my sin. Along this journey, I'm being saved. <laughs> I'm being saved from the power of sin. Hmm. But when I get to heaven, <laughs> I'm going to be saved from the presence of sin. Because the Bible tells us that he's cre he'll create all things new where there'll be no more sorrow. <laughs> there'll be no more tears of sadness. But there'll be just joy forevermore. Oh, folks, God wants to do great things through us. So let me encourage us to put aside, if we have it, and I don't know that you do. I feel like I'm preaching to the choir today. But let's make sure we don't display a horrendous mindset. But we live our lives in a way that the world sees an honorable mindset among the people of God. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Right now as you were there, right where you were at, I, I would ask you that if there's any sin that besets you, if there's anything in your life that you really need to confess to God, you don't have to confess this to me. I would encourage you right now to just 
talk with Jesus. I would encourage you to tell him all about your troubles. I would encourage you to let him minister to you and make a renewed commitment that the life you live will not be a horrendous life. Not one that at your death, your family or you or God would be ashamed of. But that at your death, your family, you yourself and even God would say they died well because they lived honorable. As a representation of Jesus Christ. Oh, if there's anything you need to talk to Jesus with about feel free right now but if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior if you don't know him as Lord I want to assure you right now that you may be gaining wisdom from this world's standards you may be accumulating status by this world's standards You may even have the name that this world lifts up. But I want to assure you it's vanity when you leave this world. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is no way you can live an honorable life. Well, wait a minute, preacher. I stand a person of ethics. I stand a person with integrity. I'm not compromising that. But when you stand before the Lord, see, you can measure your life against me or against somebody else and you can find all our flaws. But what you'll find is a measuring stick that is bent, crooked, and nearly broken. But if you measure your life to Jesus Christ, you'll find a straight edge that'll never bend. And you'll find your life bent, crooked, and broken. Would you today, would you today acknowledge that you are a sinner? Believe Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus came to this world, lived a sinless life. That he died on the cross for the sin of the world. And that he rose from the grave oh if you believe that the hard part's over the easy thing to do now is to confess him as your Lord and Savior and walk in the newness of life